guys. My name is Jessica. Welcome to Unveiling the Scriptures podcast with Pastor Steve and his son, Jared Curtis. Tonight, uh, they're going to dig deeper into the book of Revelation. So grab your Bibles and let's join them. Welcome to another episode of Unveiling the Scriptures. And Jared, this has just been, just the first chapter has been really exciting and uh, some amazing things. And it moves right into the seven churches, right from the end of uh, chapter one. Let me go ahead and read those verses to kind of set us up tonight. Uh, Verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and then he tells us what they represent. The seven seven stars are the angels, or that can be translated messengers, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then he begins to uh, uh, talk about all these churches. He begins to um, uh, tell us who he is to these churches, which is taken from, I, I believe, chapter Uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, which describe who Jesus is. And then uh, he begins to give commendations. Uh, This is what you've done well. And condemnations on some of the churches. This is what you're not doing so well. And then a call. This is what needs to change. This is what you can do. This is how you can, you know, bring your, uh, your, your church your lives back in favor with God. Uh, and so it's incredible. He takes these seven churches. And so, Jared, just take a minute, if you would, and explain uh, the reasoning for these seven churches. And in uh, and, and just a minute, I, I can share with you what they represent. All right. Well, first, I want to say I think it's very interesting that that Jesus, prior to discussing the specific message to the churches— what he had for each of them individually. He paints the picture, as we talked about last time, of of the the reigning King Jesus surrounded by the church, in the midst of the church. And so it's it's not a letter that that Jesus starts off dictating with I just want you to go talk to this church and this church and this church. He says, I'm gonna give you a picture, John, before you before you start writing this down, to understand that, one, the churches are mine. I'm in the midst of them. That I hold the messengers to these churches in my... So there's this 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 picture of might and power in the midst of the church and Jesus being the king, the high priest of the church. And so I, I, it looks to me as if Jesus wanted to make sure to clarify that there were no Lone Ranger churches, that there's not this church here and this church there, but that he held them all together. And then, like you said, he has these um, this message for each one of them. And now, um, I forgot what the other thing you said was. Well, no, what's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting about these churches, now I was asking you uh, why these seven churches. The uh, only yeah. church that we really understand uh, or are familiar with is the church of Ephesus, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight. But um, the rest of them, uh, until here, we don't hear much about them in, uh, at all in the New Testament. Why these churches and... Um, so, if you could well, share that. So, yeah. so, what we do know from a quick, uh, from a quick look at a map, we can see that these churches, in particular, kind of set up this, this kind of a mail route, this circle. So, you pull into Ephesus, which is a port city, right? And this was kind of the kind of a major birthing place uh, as far as the churches go um, for these churches that we're going to know about, right? So, they spawn from Ephesus. And so you start at Ephesus, and then you walk your way around in this circle. Now, again, there's different 
ideas as to why these were picked. Um, I, I, you know, I don't believe that that Jesus is kind of locked into one reason or another. Um, but through research, I think we can see that it's more than just a mail route, right? It's more than just we we have a circle that these letters can be uh, dispersed to evenly and equal uh, easily too. But instead, each church carries with it something specific that Jesus addresses. And it's important for us to remember that the church is not, and we say this all the time, the church is not built up of brick and mortar, but it's the the people. And so it's important to remember that because the things that are going to be addressed have nothing to do with have nothing to do with necessarily the business side of a church or the the organizational side of the church, but it has everything to do with what is driving the individuals of the church. What is what is it that they're tied to? What is it that kind of defines them? What is it that and, and as we look at these, it's so much more than just how many people are sitting in the seats, right? Mm-hmm. They don't care mm-hmm. about the songs, about the band about the children's ministry about all of these things as a mm-hmm. matter of fact i'm not so sure that any of those were even a thing mm-hmm. at the time right because when you look at mm-hmm. when you look at the culture that the church was raised in it was a lot more family driven right especially if you oh, so if you go back before the church and you look mm-hmm. into the jewish culture it's all right. very family driven mm-hmm. it's not you don't leave your house and go to church mm-hmm. excuse me you live as one that follows that follows God, and then you will worship in these places, whether it be the at the tabernacle, the temple, whatever the case may be. So as we're talking about the churches, it's important to remember that there is a sense of responsibility for every single person that is a follower of Christ. And Jesus is going to address these different things um, that he sees in each church, but he sees them in each person. Right. right? He's right. not... He's not <clears throat> He's not speaking into an administrative mm-hmm. office. Right. And and I think it's interesting when we look at these churches, as you said earlier, uh, what was important to Jesus was not how many and how much. It wasn't how is your youth ministry going. I'm not saying those things are, are bad. Right. I'm just simply saying what was important to him was were they true to the word of God? Were they were they loyal to Christ? Did they love God? And and we'll look at some of these things. In, in other words, what Jesus talked about, how he addressed these churches were what really mattered when it comes to the churches. And just a quick, before we get into the the church of Ephesus, these churches also is believed to represent a period of time in church history. For instance, Ephesus is considered the apostolic church from AD 30 to 100. Smyrna is considered the church under Roman persecution, 100 through 313. Uh, Pergamum, or some translations have, have Pergamus, is the age of Constantine, which is 313 through 600. The Dark Ages is a church of Thyatira. Uh, 600 through 1517. Sardis is, is during the Reformation period, 1517 through 1648. And, the, and Philadelphia is called the one with the missionary movement, 1649 to 1900. And the Church of Laodicea is uh, from about 1900, uh, and it's the Church of Apostasy, to the present day. Now, again, that's just kind of the overview of what church history looked the church age is looking like and and how they compare to these seven churches however each of these churches i think are represented in the world today uh, we have a persecuted church in places like china or iran uh, and we have we have uh, 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 churches that that are um, compromised like pergamum or ephesus who may be strong but they're losing their first love and, w- and we'll talk about all these or Laodicea, which is the apostate church. So all of these 
are, of course, functioning all over the world today. And so I believe as we look at these churches, it's, it gives us a broad picture of prophecy. First of all, we are in the church age uh, from, uh, uh, from, um, from the church when it started in the book of Acts, or I believe it started actually with Christ, uh, to, to the time when, when the rapture of the church takes place. This is what we call the age of grace or the church age. And it's when the Holy Spirit works within primarily the church. And uh, so as we begin to look at these seven, um, seven churches, uh, we are looking uh, at the church age. Because when chapter 3 finishes, we begin, uh, I believe we begin the rapture of the church, and then we begin the seven years of tribulation. So let's start with the first church on the postal route, and uh, it's the church of Ephesus. And do you want me to go ahead and read? Yeah, go uh, ahead. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll read these verses here. There's, there's quite a few. And we can, you can stop me wherever you want. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars. We, in fact, we just read that. Seven stars in his right hand, the seven stars are the messengers, who walked among the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. I know your works, he speaks to Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have grown, I'm not grown weary, but I, and so he says some really good things, and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me go ahead and read all of this. Verse 3 says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up my namesake, and you have not grown weary, uh, but I have this against you. And, and, and it's very simple, but very powerful. He says uh, you have that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And then he gives them a remedy. He gives them an antidote to, to their sin. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Um, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. So he, he comes back and he gives another co uh, uh, a commendation that would go along with verses, um, with verse three and verse, actually verse three. And then he says, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, to one who conquers, or some translations say overcome, those who are believers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. <clears throat> so we can go back. And, yeah, there's a lot uh, going on there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my first reaction whenever, you know, when we start looking at, um, when you start seeing names, is to say, what we do know is that Ephesus is mentioned earlier. We know that it's mentioned um, in Acts, and, and Paul visits and, of course, starts uh, ministry there. So I think it's interesting when we read about how Jesus is calling them on— well, let's back up just for a second. I think it's interesting that he makes it a point— let me pull out my little Bible marker right there. I think it's interesting that he starts—the very first thing he says— in his introduction is, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, uh, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So right away, here's the distinction that needs to be made. Church of Ephesus, this is coming from, this is coming from the Christ that stands in the midst of the church, right? It's his church. He's connected to the church. He holds the messengers to the church in his, I'm sorry, point in my left hand, in his right hand, right? So so what Jesus is doing right away is he's he's making clear the connection, the relationship, the intimacy between himself and the church. It's his church. And I like he that. He holds them. And I, I don't know, maybe it's a pet peeve. I struggle when I hear people say, I love my church. And I know what they mean. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think they're ill-willed when they say that. But the truth is, it's not our church. If it's our church, 
that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, it's Christ Church is His church. We have a sign in the coffee spot, and I said this a long time ago. I love His church, and uh, and and we uh, we need to remember that. And you brought up that point well that that the, these churches are not their own entity by themselves. These churches, and because church is different than anything else in this world. It's not an organization, it's an organism. It's not, it's not a building, it's a body, you know. And, um, and, and it's Christ's body. And so it's his church. And so when he talks about, you know, he holds the messengers in his hands, he walks amongst the churches, not out from them, not aside from them, but he's in the midst of what they're doing and who they are. <clears throat> well, and then he goes on in the second verse, and, and I think this is interesting. I don't think it's uh, by accident that Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and are found them to be false, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So what he's doing is, is, is he's, he's saying, I see all that you're doing. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. You're, you know, it, it, I, I think this is one of those that if we wanted to try to make a um, more relatable scenario you could almost label it as i you know i see that you that you serve in this ministry and that you serve in that ministry you and, that, poor, and you, that you yep, you, you clothe those yep, who need I, clothes i see all these things that you're doing and, and and they all are the the desire to do them is a there is a direct correlation between the love of god and the desire to serve people that way so stay with me. So he started by saying, I am in the midst. I am surrounded by the churches. I am the center of the churches. I hold the messengers. And, and you know, I, I really like the idea of the possibility that the stars, the angels being the pastors of the church and, and, that, and that Jesus holds them in his, well, his right hand, but holds them close. Again, to make the picture of how he keeps his church close to him. And he's saying you're doing all of these things that stem from that. But here's the problem. <clears throat> he says, I have this against you that you abandoned the love that you had at first. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would, I would want to point out is when we see that word abandon, um, you know, I know that I personally can get kind of sidetracked in things I can have my attention diverted, and I'm horrible. I'm one of those out of sight, out of mind people. Like it's easy for me to not think about something when it's not right in front of me. That's not what this is about. As a matter of fact, when we look at that word "abandon" in the original language, when we look at it in the Greek, it is the the same picture as as a man divorcing his wife. Mm. Now, of course, Christ doesn't divorce his church, but mm. what he's saying here is that you're doing all these things, but you have made the decision to cut me off from the work. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like in the beginning, he's saying, yeah, but you can't do that because the church is mine. And he's going to continue to talk about that. And when he talks about, mm -hmm. so here's what you need to do. You need to repent because he can call that. He can make that order. He is King Jesus. He mm -hmm. is the high priest. He mm -hmm. can say, no, this is what you need to do because mm -hmm. you're the church. I'm in the middle. Mm -hmm. right? You've pushed me out to mm -hmm. do these good things, but, but that's not okay, and that's not how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. And then what I want to do um, is jump back real quick into Acts 19. So this is when Paul first goes into Ephesus. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the conversation they have. 
Uh, starting in verse 1 in chapter 19 of Acts, he says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So these are people that had already learned the teachings of John. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. So John preaching, repent, Mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven is here, right? Mm -hmm. And then verse 4, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So then they go into the synagogue, and they start to speak boldly. Right? They start to preach. Mm-hmm. So what is the first love? Upon hearing about being baptized by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God living in them, their lives were changed. Mm. Now, they were disciples of God. They followed mm-hmm. the teachings of John, and, and those weren't— John the Baptist. John the yeah. Baptist. Mm-hmm. And they weren't wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that no, he, right, he did right. what he was supposed to do. He paved the way. Right. But then Paul says, well, now you need to hear— you need to hear the message of the Christ, the Messiah, that, you know, this, he has mm-hmm. come, he has died, he has risen, you know, and, and and they were then on their belief filled with the Spirit. So then we jump back to chapter 2 again in Revelation. This is what Jesus is talking about, right? And and it's one of those, it, it, it reminds me of something that you say every, at the end of every service when you do, the uh we'll call it an altar call that you know there isn't a special prayer that you pray there's not any there's no real act that we do that's going to save us mm-hmm. but what it does is it allows an opportunity for people to remember kind of a uh, it kind of makes a time stamp mm. in their mind so they can say i remember when Christ moved in my life when the Holy Spirit invaded my mm-hmm. life and and changed me and and spiritually brought me to life and mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. so Jesus is telling him here you, you forgot your first love and I think that what he's doing is he's referring back to I mean I'm not saying that the people getting this letter are the same people that Paul talked to and in, mm-hmm. in Acts 19 I'm not saying that. But I do believe that Jesus is referring to that moment when the Spirit of God revived him, because there's so much that takes place in that. Mm-hmm. There's so much revelation. Do you think that maybe that that maybe he was saying you forgot what this is all about? You thought it was about, and, and some of the things they were doing was a, co- a commendation. There were good things. Yeah. For, you know, they were they were. Uh, prohibiting false teachers in their assembly. They were standing strong in that area. But Jesus says, but wait a minute, you know, yeah, that's great, but you've, I'm what this is all about. Your love for me is what this is all about. Your your regeneration because of me is what this is all about. And you've lost that. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? Something yeah, to that yeah. Effect? let's, let's yeah. take you back to the, you know, let's take you back to the moment when, as Jesus would be saying, when I gave you life, because mm-hmm. it almost seems like that there is that there's so much that they're against that they forgot what they were for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and I know that in in the world, especially the world that we live in now. Mm-hmm. There is so much that goes on uh-huh. around us yeah. that contradicts the Bible that it's so easy uh-huh. to get caught up uh-huh. in fighting everything that we're yeah that we're not even connecting ourselves with Christ uh-huh. and allowing him to grow us. Yeah, I was raised in a kind of church and and I was talking to somebody about this today. I was raised in a kind of church that was in a movement that was reactionary. 
In other words, uh, when I was young, it was, of course, the late 60s and early 70s. And these, some of these churches began to really grow. If you were to say, what are the top 10 churches in the country attendance-wise, it would some of the churches, the kind of churches I was a part of, would be included in that. But what happened was these churches were a reactionary movement. You know, they reacted to the, the hippie movements and rock music and all of that kind of thing, which was really popular to more of the conservative crowd at that day. However, whenever you back or whenever you become a part of a reactionary movement, it dies quickly. And it sounds like here, maybe they were part of a, a reactionary. Well, we're standing strong, we're, and which is good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, uh, we're against false teaching, which is good. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's wonderful. I commend you for that. But this I have against you. You've, you've abandoned. You've, in a sense, divorced, mm-hmm. not me, but you've divorced your first love. You've forgotten about the day when the Spirit of God regenerated and transformed your life. Ah, wow, that's that that's really good. You, I don't want you to live as a reactionary mm-hmm. movement. I want you to live like you're madly in love with me, and all of these things will happen too. Mm-hmm. You know, all you, no, you'll because that's what they're all truth. rooted in. Right, right. You'll stand for the truth. That's great. I, that's, I, I hadn't given that kind of a thought before. But uh, yeah, that's great. And then, and then he, and then he gives a remedy for this. And and listen what he's look what he says. He says in verse five, remember. For I like to use alliteration sometimes, but remember, therefore, where you have fallen. You talked about that. Remember before the Spirit of God lived in you, before you trusted Christ as your Savior, before the regenerating, regeneration, uh, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit began to take over. Look how far you look where you were. Sometimes I think we as believers, Jared, forget um, how good we have it. You know, we live in God's grace. We live with God's mercy. We live with God's forgiveness. And sometimes maybe we take that for granted. And, and so, so Jesus says, remember where you have fallen and then repent. Uh, that repentance is a uh, word simply means to change your mind, change your actions, change your heart. In other words, you're going, you're going east, turn around and go west. Yeah. You know, you're, you're making an about face change in your life. And then he says, and do the works you did at first. I, I know sometimes people people will come to me and they're just, their lives are falling apart. They're believers, but their lives are falling apart. And and I, and I said, well, w- when you first came to Christ or, or when you were close to Christ, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was, I says, I, I was reading my Bible every day. I, maybe I was journaling. I was connected in a, in a, in a group where I was discussing discussing the word of God. I was, I was actively involved with ministry and those kind of things were going on. And I said, well, what's going on now? Well, I, I got too busy for all that. Mm -hmm. And then like, see relationships left to themselves. They, they drift, they just drift. And so uh, Jesus is saying, go back to work. Um, and work on this, this relationship with Christ. Let him, let him uh, re- refurbish that love that that is there anyway, and, and allow it to expand in your life. Well, and he tells mm-hmm. them to go back to the works you did at first, the the first works. He just got done naming a bunch of works. Those aren't the ones he's talking about. He's not talking about go back and continue to call out false teaching. Those that's good, but that's not the first work. The patient endurance isn't the first work. Your works, your toil is not the first work. The first works is what you're talking about. The devotion to surrendering my time, my brain space to the Son of God to allow Him to mold me into who He wants me to be. That's the first work. And and unfortunately, in, in our churches now, and from a academic and logical standpoint we've done it to ourselves but we we see the word words like repent and conviction and we we label them as bad mm. right or that they're yeah. tough or that but as followers of christ we would 
we should desire conviction and repentance because mm-hmm. if we don't have conviction, there's bigger issues. There's major issues. Right. If there's not something in, in, in our life that, I say something, but it, it, the Spirit of God in our lives questioning what we do and our willingness to hear it and repent, these are good things. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing for us to to feel the healthy guilt. Mm-hmm. True guilt. Right, yeah. And so, because true guilt always... Remember this, true guilt always leads to chain, change, change, yeah. change, false guilt always leads to chains where you're, you're, uh, that's not uh, false guilt is, is, is feeling guilty about something and feeling bad about something. And you prayed and asked forgiveness, yet you're still wearing the burden, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's false guilt. Uh, Jesus saved us to forgive us and, 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 and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, but true guilt says, oh, I messed up. I'm wrong. I did this or did that, or I'm allowing this or that in my life. However, I repent. You know, I change my mind about it, and I, I, I'm going to focus on following Christ and loving Christ with all my heart, soul, and strength. So, uh, so, so where are we at? Yeah, he says. So then he goes, then he goes to, uh, uh, the Nicolaitans, by the way, uh, some people say Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, however you pronounce it, it is a group of people who actually uh, practiced uh, uh, the worship of, of Baal. And it goes back to Numbers 23 through 25. And you talk about that more in uh, in the church of Pergamum than in this church, but they didn't stand for these false teachers that had infiltrated their church. And so he says, I hate their works too. I hate what they do too. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, in other words, if, if you got an ear, if you have, you know, heard one guy say, if you have earlobes, this is for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, to the one who conquers, and that's in the ESV, some translations say overcome, those who overcome, those who basically are uh, are believers. He says, I will grant to eat the tree of life. We know the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. taken away when sin entered. Uh, he says, now you'll get to eat it because you've been redeemed. He says, which is the paradise of God, which is basically heaven. Um, so he says, he says, if you repent, you go back to do the things that you love to do. Uh, um, and if you're one who is, a, of course, is a believer, he says, uh, you will you know, be with the tree of life and be in heaven one day and, uh, and, and, and a great life you will have in Christ. There is one thing, because we skipped a verse. I mean, we read it, but I think it's important that we talk about it. Um, he says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, oh, right. Okay. I right. will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in other words, you no longer have a church. That's how I interpret yeah. that. That uh, the moment that uh, you don't listen to me and your love, and I've seen a lot of churches that have died because of lack of love. They lost their first love. Mm-hmm. In other words, they started doing something else. They started to focus on someone else or something else, and they lost, they forgot what we're all about. Now, and... And I don't even know that what God is saying here is that when he says, I'm going to remove, I'll remove your lampstand from its place. I, you know, I, I don't know that Jesus is saying, I'm going to squash you. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to stop you from meeting together. Right. right. Saying, uh-huh. I'm not I'm going out. to give you a capacity to hold light. I'm out. Lampstand's a light bearer. Mm-hmm. No longer are you going to be able to hold my, hold me. So even on the other side, what you're talking about, seeing, you know, churches shut down, doors closed. On the other side, we can see churches grow. Yeah, yeah. And Uh Jesus said, I'm removing my lampstand. And I always go back to Matthew 7, where Jesus says, you know, uh, the person will come to him and says, Lord, I did all these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked these great miracles. And Jesus looks at him and says, who are you? You know, yep. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know who you are. And um, there was no first love. Yeah, right, right. 
you had all the works, <laughs> like he's talking to the church of Ephesus, mm-hmm. but you had no first love. Right. So there is no lampstand. Yeah. There is no lampstand in, in that setting. So, and the reason that I really mm-hmm. wanted to talk about that too is, so now let's place that in contrast to what you were just reading about the tree of life and paradise of God. Mm-hmm. So like you said, the tree of life that drops us in the garden mm-hmm. in, in Genesis, well, the fall is in three and then you know, he ends up. To mostly chapter send, two, yeah, yeah, sending out uh, Adam and Eve from the garden. Mm-hmm. But what did that garden represent? Now, mm-hmm. I believe I'm one of those that believes the Bible says there was a garden. It's not made up. It's not just right. figurative uh-huh. language. There was an actual garden. Yeah. There was real trees. Mm-hmm. Like I believe all of that. Mm-hmm. So in that setting, where the tree of life was also represents though the the time and space when the relationship between God and man was perfect that there was mm-hmm. no separation between mm-hmm. I mean it, it the scripture tells us that God walked in the garden which mm-hmm. I also believe was one of the first representations of Jesus I think Jesus is God in the flesh right and so yeah, when absolutely. I I think there was physical they were hanging out I don't believe that God was out here and was just a big loud voice. There was an intimate relationship as a father to his children and his creation. Um, now the whole Jesus thing, that's just me putting it together. At, I don't have anything else to build that from. That's mm-hmm. just in my head, but it was a perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. When sin entered the world and that separation took place, the tree of life had to be removed. Right. right. That's God said it has to go. We can't let them have that mm-hmm. because of, there's the no life making right. You're, you're dying. The yeah. moment you send, you die. Yeah. So. And so now, what we're seeing here is is the this the stark contrast of if you don't repent, I'm taking my light from you. You can hang out and you can do whatever works you want to do, but when they get put into the fire, it's burnt up. Mm-hmm. It's not right. at the end of the at the end of the the day when it's time for that judgment. It it's done. Instead, now we're talking about the other side with the tree of life and the paradise of God. When you repent, then we will be in 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 good relationship again. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. we will be back to maybe not exactly like the garden was yet. Right, right. But and we'll I, be back in that but relationship. You're working towards yeah. that. You know, uh you're you're moving and because that's what I think the sanctification process is. Mm-hmm. It's making us more and more like Christ. It's putting us a position to be more, you know, as we you know, there's justification, you know, where uh, we are freed or we are saved from the uh penalty of sin. Uh, excuse me, justification, sanctification, we are saved from the power of sin, but glorification is when we're saved from the presence of sin. Mm-hmm. And um, so it works towards that sanctification process has taken us to the glorification place. And uh, yeah, I, that relationship is restored and life is there because of Christ. Yeah. And uh, the paradise of God, which I believe is heaven, mm-hmm. you know, and what is heaven? It's being with God. So yeah. It's good. Do we want to move to the next church? Yeah, let's go. Okay, this is this is a powerful church. The Church of Smyrna, we're going to go about 35 miles north, I think, from Ephesus, and on, on the postal route, if you please, and uh, we will hit the Church of Smyrna. You want to read? start reading that, Jared? Sure. Verse 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, and to, uh, excuse me, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is great because the angel of the church, somewhere, the, the, and, and, and this is one of the quotes from the vision of John in chapter 1 where he says to this church, uh, the words of the first and the last. 
and then it and it, and it describes what Christ did. He died and came to life. And he's letting this church know that I'm the I'm I'm the savior of the world and that no matter what you go through and we're going to see this church went through some severe persecution that no matter what you went through that I'm here I am the first and the last. I am the one who saved you. I am the one who who died and, and was buried and rose again. I am the one who will bring you to heaven with me. In other words, I believe, I believe, and when I read this, that he's saying, uh, Church of Smyrna, in the midst of your pain and persecution, don't worry, for I am that I am. I'm here with you. So I, I see that you might have a little, maybe a little more to um, add to that. But I see that he's letting this church know because we know this church suffer is a suffering church. Because he starts out with the next verse by saying, I know your tribulation and your poverty. So, but in other words, I'm in control. I'm a sovereign God. I've got everything I, I, you need. Mm-hmm. Just don't worry as you go through this tough time. Yeah, and I I agree. I don't have abs- you know, I have absolutely nothing to add to that because again, like you said, he's he's again positioned. And I love how Jesus is doing this. It's like he, as he talks to these churches, and we we'll, we see it in every one of them, that he is reminding them of certain aspects of himself as he goes into what he's about to discuss mm-hmm. to to present the authority that he has. Not that they necessarily have to be reminded, but mm-hmm. it's a know who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm here. I've always been here. I will always be here. I hold you in the palm of my hand. So understand, as this all happens, mm-hmm. it's still not out of my control. Right. I'm still in control. Sovereign. I'm a sovereign and, God. Yeah. And, I, and I know what you're going through. I see what mm-hmm. you're going through. And I find it really interesting that he says, but you are rich. Yeah. You know something, Jared? I think verse 9 and 10 needs to be taken out of Scripture. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's right. I think Jesus might have been wrong. Yeah, Jesus is off on this. You know, um, according to much of theology today, I, and of course I'm being sarcastic. Don't don't cut us off, okay? <laughs> because because this, this flies in the face uh, of those who believe in this horrible doctrine that's not biblical uh, called prosperity theology, where people say that the evidence of your salvation is your health, your wealth, and your happiness. And these people had none of those, uh, con, you know, uh, based on what the world goes through. Mm-hmm. And that's this next verse, I know your tribulation. So they must have been, they must have been, um, just away from God. You know, they just must have been far from God. Oh, yeah, they have to if they have tribulation, right? kidding, by the way. I know your tribulation and your what? Poverty. Mm -hmm. And then he does something that that just assaults prosperity theology. Mm -hmm. He says, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that you are Jews and are not, but but are a synagogue of Satan. And then he says, and we can back up here in a minute, but do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. They must have been just worldly sinners, right? They had to have been. Yeah. And I say that. I know I'm being facetious. and I know, But, but these people were suffering. And, and here's what Jesus told them. And, and again, we can back up on some of this. He says, but in my estimation, the way I see this, you're not poor. You're rich. Because you're living your life for what really matters. You're living your life for Christ. You'll never be rich as far as the world is concerned. You'll never have, you know, the, 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 the house and the, and the you know, the, the creature comforts. Um, but in my eyes, the way eternity sees it, you are rich. And the slander of those who say that you are Jews and are not, uh, but are the synagogue of Satan. 
which is interesting. There was slander that was going against the church. There was um, uh, the, many of the Jews were, uh, that were attacked. In fact, they were attacked by the Jews and the Romans. The Romans said to the Christians, you have to do emperor worship. Now, the Jews were excluded from it, but not the Christians. You have to go once a year, you know, uh, you know, do your little sacrifice, say the words you got to say. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but you got to go through the motions of emperor worship, and they wouldn't do it. And then the Jews said, well, you, you, you believe in this guy named Jesus who's the same, and we don't believe. So they were getting persecuted from, from both, both places. And so in this place, though, here, he says, he says that there's, you've endured slander. And some of the slander that was believed to happen, Jared, was, um, was when they would take of the Lord's Supper, that this was the body of Christ. And, and, and they would stretch that and say, well, this is cannibalism. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, but that's what they would do. They also would uh, uh, when you've ever read parts in scripture where it says greet one another with a holy kiss. Right. They said that turned into sexual immorality, and then uh, th there was one more that they did, and I can't remember what it was. I, it just left. I'm old and I forget. <laughs> I can't remember, but there was one more where where it was just ridiculous. You know, just things that the the, the church. It'll come to me in a minute. But, uh, and, and Jesus says, uh, they're not really even Jews. It, actually, they're a part of the synagogue of Satan. And, um, and he said, don't fear. He says, uh, because you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, be tested for 10 days. Now, but people, you know, sometimes when you read the book of Revelation, because there's so much symbolism, you want to make everything symbolic. I believe it was 10 days, that there was a 10-day maybe trial period or, or, or period that they were going to go through. Some people believe other things. I understand that. But I believe that Jesus is saying, your church has, stead, has stood the test of time. You've stood in the midst of persecution. You've stood in the midst of suffering. And more is coming, but don't be afraid. Why? If you go back to verse 8, because the one who's, mm -hmm. who, who is uh, the first and the last who died and rose again for you, I will be with you. And I think it's important, too, to, uh, to point out, so the word slander is also can be translated as blasphemy. Yes. So if we take yes. that idea and we tie it to some of the things that, that you've already discussed— so what you're talking about is is these groups that have taken well we'll just move the Romans aside for now because they I mean they were a whole different mm -hmm. that's a whole different breed. But the Jews and the conflict between the Jews and the Christians there is a taking of of sacred teaching and twisting it and then spreading it. Right? Mm -hmm. So if we kind of walk in that same thought process and we look at again now the so he says the slander or the blasphemy of those that say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan we can look also in our in in, in western culture it's so much easier to look at the church culture and ask the question you know how many of our churches have been turned into synagogues of Satan, mm. right? And because because we'll do the same thing, we'll take. And you were talking about prosperity theology, and I think that's a, a, a great place to start. This doctrine that people will pick verses of the Bible that, if you read it in context, a lot of times it's fighting against right. what they're pushing, right. but yeah. but build this. And for lack of a better word, I'll say a doctrine. I'm not going to call it a theology because it has nothing to do with God. But this false doctrine, and then they push it. And it's and and so I, th I think we see that same thing taking place. So there's tribulation, there's poverty taking place, but you are rich. Those that are following Christ aren't seeing... I, I, always, I, I always like to approach... Um, 
What's the word I'm looking for? The idea of Christian celebrities very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we have to be careful to, when we start to equate spiritual uh, spiritual growth and maturity with popularity, with um, prosperity, with success. And here, just in this clip, not saying that, I, you know, I don't know of anything in Scripture that that suggests that being wealthy is wrong. Right. I, I don't, that I don't, but, but I think what we see here is the idea of success on the back of twisted doctrine, mm. right? So we see the ones who are sticking to what is true, and from a worldly perspective, they're experiencing tribulation. And that's another one of those words that we say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we say over and over, and it loses meaning. It loses mm-hmm. its punch. It loses. Mm-hmm. I mean, tribulation is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in suffering. fact, when they begin to talk about the great tribulation, it's a horrible thing. So you're right, right, right. right. So, yeah. so this church that Jesus claims is rich is in the middle of all of that, while on the outside of that, we have the synagogue of Satan with the blasphemy mm-hmm. taking place, and 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 I think it's just another reminder of of again as believers to not get caught up in Christian fanaticism. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and to, again, to know the word of God, to tie mm. to the heart of God, um, to help move through that. Because <clears throat> if we get tied up in that, we're not going to live like the church of, of Smyrna. We're not going to hold fast during tribulations. And as we're being tested, we're, because we're going to be caught up in the emotion of everything that has taken place. And there is no substance. Right, right. And that's what, and I think on, on, on a different view of this, uh, what the Jews did is they took true gospel doctrines, things like, like communion, mm-hmm. you know, and even the greeting, but they took those things and they perverted it. And in the church today, the, the, the sad thing is, is it's happening in some churches as well, not every church, but in, in some churches where where uh, no longer do they preach God's truth, but they but they teach some kind of self-help, some kind of um, self-help, you know, believe in yourself kind of uh, world-centered, worldly gospel. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your, your cross and follow me. And, uh, and, and so we've got to be careful as believers uh, that we don't buy into the lies of those who call themselves, you know, these people, these Jews were supposedly religious people mm-hmm. and godly people, at least in the eyes of their peers and their people. Uh, uh, but we've got to be careful as the church to preach God's truth. I know I'm off a little bit, but to preach God's truth and to preach it with clarity and to preach it with conviction, as we talked about earlier, and and understand that to follow Christ may not mean the world, well, it does mean the world will not follow you. Right. You know, uh, that that you might be, and, and notice here when Jesus is addressing this church, he didn't say, uh, and just hang on, I won't let this happen to you anymore. Right. He doesn't. He says, don't fear about what's, he says, don't be afraid about what is going to happen. Yeah, more's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, some great, great truths there. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we here? I don't want to miss anything. Uh, let's see. The 10 days. Okay. Be faithful unto death. Oh, and he says, and I will give you the crown of life. What does that mean? In the New Testament, we see all kinds of crowns. Uh, the martyr's crown. We see the crown of joy. We see a crown of uh, of um, uh, of uh, the incorruptible crown, and then the crown of life. And what these are, I'm not going to get into a study of crowns right now. It is an interesting study in the New Testament. Uh, but crowns are given. Uh, I believe that there will be an award ceremony, so to speak. The judgment seat of Christ is called in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where, and the Greek word, of course, the bema seat. Uh, 
And it's not judgment in the sense you're going to be judged for your sins. It's more of an award ceremony where your works will be taken and taken and put to the fire. And those works that were legitimate will be gold, silver, precious stone. I believe that that crowns will be given. Now, why do we, we're given crowns? May have something to do with, with uh, our, our specific responsibilities in the, in the kingdom time. But I think more than that, that the crowns represent a greater opportunity for us to worship Christ. In other words, if, if he gives us a crown because we were a martyr, or he gives us a crown, there's crowns for pastors, there's crowns for those who were endured and you know stayed close to God. And what do we do with those crowns? We turn them, take them off, so to speak, and we place them at the feet of Jesus. It says, God, you gave me this, but I want to give it back to you. This gives me an opportunity to glorify you in even a greater way. That, that's how I see it. So these, this crown of life, he's saying, hey, you guys may suffer death, and many of them did. Many of them, you know, when they would meet for their services, wherever they would meet, there may be one or two missing, either because they're imprisoned or maybe because they've been executed. Uh, but he says, never fear. I won't forget you, and, uh, and you will receive a crown of life. And I think it's... I do find it very interesting. I was thinking about this when you were preaching on it, that it only makes sense that we give back the crown because we didn't earn it anyway. That's right. That's right. right. So all of the things that you mentioned are impossible without Christ doing that do work inside your, of us. You can't do the work of God in the flesh. You just can't. It's impossible. Yeah, you can't. And so God gives us the ability and the and and the uh, the strength, the sense, the, whatever we need to do, whatever he wants us to do. He gives us all of that. We don't get it. And then I think the key for us, though, is just be obedient. Yeah. And then he gives us that, yeah. the ability to be <laughs> obedient. But uh, when we're willing to be obedient, he takes our surrender and he says, I'll, I'll work through you and I'll do things that one that maybe even now people don't realize but one day, that I'll reward that surrender and that faithfulness and that obedience with a crown, which we will in turn be able to say, oh, Father, you take it. You be honored and glorified. So it's, it's, it's exciting. That's exciting. In other words, hey, there will come a time when you will see how valuable what happened of what happening to you, what spiritual eternal value this has. Did you want me to move on or? Okay. Let's let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear again. If you got earlobes, this is for you. What the spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers. And again, there's that word. He's uh, ESV uses the term conquerors or conquerors. Uh, Some translations use the word overcomers. Both of them are believers Mm -hmm. who have, who have, who, who are, or followers of Christ. And he says, will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Well, in relation, Re- Revelation chapter 20, uh, there is a great white throne judgment. And at the, when the great, the great white throne judgment is not for believers. Our judgment was taken care of at the cross. If you're out there today and you, you're a believer, you will never be judged for your sin already been judged on the cross. However, those who did not receive Christ, those who were not believers, stand before what we call the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, those people will be judged by their works, and they will, for the wages of their sin, as Romans 3.23 says, will be death. And so uh, at that point, the second death is what we call the lake of fire. And uh, whoever, Scripture says, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I don't say that with excitement. I don't say that with arrogance. I don't say that. I say that with incredible humility, that that is the, the, the consequence for sin that is undealt with. 
and and it will happen. And he says to these this church, this is a powerful statement because he says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, that horrific lake of fire, uh, hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. The, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're all thrown into the lake of fire. And, uh, but if you're a believer, you're not even going to be affected by it. You will not be hurt by the second death. That's, that's, I like to say for the unbeliever, um, this world is as good as it gets. But for the believer, this is world as, is as bad as it gets. This is serious stuff. It's not fiction. It's truth. Mm-hmm. And so what we have here is just in the first two churches, one, we see, we see the moving of the high priest towards his church, towards his people for correction, for redirection. Um, he talks to the church in Ephesus and he says, I want you back to the first love. I don't want you to get wrapped up in all of the ministry without mm. tying to me. Mm -hmm. I, so I need you to change. I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change the way you walk. I'm going to turn you around, come back to me. Or if that doesn't happen, right? He says, if that doesn't happen, there is, I'm taking my light away because mm -hmm. I'm Jesus. I can do that. And I'm going to put my light where I want it to be. And mm -hmm. for those that are going to follow. He says, but if you do that, again, there's the tree of life. We're back in communion. And then in the second church, he praises the communion in the midst of a world that's falling apart. And so we see in the two promises the tree of life and not being touched by the second death. And just in these two churches, the spectrum covered by Jesus is gigantic because mm. he's gone from one end of you've spiritually divorced and again, not like they've lost their salvation, nothing mm -hmm. like that. Right. But you've chosen to push me away, mm -hmm. and yet I'm gonna, I want to bring you back to this relationship. And in this church, you're in this relationship. Trust me, hold fast, mm -hmm. because there's a time coming when that second death takes place and you have nothing to worry about. Right, right. I will, so, I will take care of you. Yeah. And so we're, we still have five churches left. Mm-hmm. And already in the first two, Christ has just spread wide his his message of here's where I want you to be, church. Ephesus, Smyrna, this is where I want you to be. Let's get back to strong communion between us. And these messages are for our church today. Yes. I think this I think the messages that we draw from from these two churches and the other five churches are messages that we need to desperately uh apply if you might say or uh um become in our churches before because all of this sets up the rapture of the church. And we'll see some uh, some of the churches that are uh, fake. We'll see some of the churches that are dead. We'll see some of the churches that are uh, compromising. So we'll see all kinds of things going on here. But I think Jesus is sending a message through these churches. Get ready, because I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. Get ready, because I'll be there. So you want me to close in prayer? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we... As we read chapter one and we, we see the glory of King Jesus and how he, he plans everything according to the will of his father and how he will come back not as a baby in the manger, but as a conquering king. And that father, that as he addresses these churches, he's telling us, not only them, but he's telling us to repent in the areas that we've fallen, to stay strong in our, in our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. May we learn these lessons from these churches. And as we get into chapter four in, in, in a few weeks, 
in, in you know, another month or so, that God, we will understand that we as the church uh, are, are a special people, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. So God, move as we study, teach us the things we need to know, change us in the areas that we need to change. May we repent of the things that, that disappoint and, and, and the things that, that are disobedient to you. And then, Father, may we continue to follow you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you for the, this time together. Thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For joining us tonight on this episode of Unveiling the Scriptures. My name is Jessica, and we'll see you next time.